The reading this evening is from Luke's Gospel, chapter 21, which can be found on page 1056 in the Bibles in front of you or behind you. Luke's Gospel, chapter 21, and beginning at verse 5. Some of his disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. But Jesus said, As for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. Teacher, they asked, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are about to take place? He replied, Watch out that you are not deceived. For many will come in my name, claiming, I am he, and the time is near. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and uprisings, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines and pestilences in various places, and fearful events and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will seize you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and put you in prison, and you will be brought before kings and governors, and all on account of my name. And so you will bear testimony to me. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be, you will be betrayed even by parents, brothers and sisters, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me but not a hair of your head will perish. Stand firm, and you will win life. When you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those in the city get out, and let those in the country not enter the city. For this is the time of punishment in fulfilment of all that has been written. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. There will be great distress in the land and wrath against this people. They will fall by the sword and will be taken as prisoners to all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, Stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. He told them this parable. 
Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Be careful, or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life, and that day will close on you suddenly like a trap, for it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch, and pray that you may... Sorry, I've lost my place. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Each day Jesus was teaching at the temple and each evening he went out to spend the night on the hill called the Mount of Olives and all the people came early in the morning to hear him at the temple. Thank you uh, very much, Chris. And as you probably picked up in our reading, it, it was all about concerned with the, uh, the future. And we can have a bit of a, a funny relationship with the future, can't we? Sometimes we fall into two uh, various camps. On the one hand, uh, we can become so obsessed with the future. Uh, so obsessed. And the very extreme end of that uh, is sort of wanting to know the exact time uh, when the world's going to end. Uh, maybe you remember uh, this, Y2K. Just for KO, that's a computer. Um, it is wider than you know. Um, but anyway, but the, the point of saying the year 2000, all the computers are going to go bust, and that's just going to create chaos, and uh, the world's going to end. Uh, or maybe you know this one, Harold Camping, uh, who said, 21st of May, 2011, that's when the world's going to end. Or... or uh, 21st December 2012, at the end of the Mayan calendar. That's when they ran out of pages, and that's the, the point at which it's going to stop, and that's the moment that history is going to end. Well, that's kind of the extreme end of things, isn't it? But, but the rest of us, we can be quite concerned with the future instead of thinking, well, I need to make sure I've got a, enough in, in the bank, enough security to make sure that I'll be okay for whatever comes, or, you know, or, or maybe an insurance policy or, or a mortgage. Uh, just something to, to cling on to. But then on the other side uh, of the extreme, we, we can almost be sort of just burying our head in the sand and just thinking, well, it, it just doesn't matter because today we eat and drink and it doesn't matter about tomorrow, I'm just going to be here for today. Well... Uh, when we come to the passage here this evening, I think Jesus wants us to, to chart through both of those positions to actually find out what does it really mean to live in light of the future. So let's pray uh, as we begin. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this word. Thank you that it's a good word. We recognise it can be a bit hard to understand when we first read it. But Father, we pray that we may be encouraged that you have all of history in your hands this evening and that we can trust you more and more. Amen. 
And in this little sort of series of discussions, um, Jesus is, is linking two aspects. He's linking the temple, that's a, a model uh, of the temple uh, in Jesus' time. Uh, he's linking that the fall of the temple uh, with the, the end of the world or when he returns. Uh, and really that the big question uh, comes in verse 5. Uh, his disciples say, Right. Some disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. They're sort of really saying, this is an impressive building. This is a building which is blessed by God. And it was an impressive building. I mean, the smallest stones were bigger than my car. And actually, my car is not one of the smaller ones. It's you know, one of those big people carrier things. Where it weighed more, at least anyway, the stones did. I mean, they were big, impressive Rocks, And actually, you get that, don't you? If you go to a, a building, maybe you've been to the Shard in London. That's a big building. Um, uh, on the way back from a, a mission trip to Uganda, I had five hours in Dubai. So we went there. The Burj Khalif. Um, the tallest building in the world. That is an impressive building. But Jesus is saying, look, if you think this building is going to last, if you think that actually it's permanent, verse 6, think again. As for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. Think again. And so the natural question the disciples have in verse 7 is like, well, when Jesus? Because they know that that this isn't kind of some Jenga tower that's going to fall down in some bad weather. Uh, they know that it, if the temple's going to fall, it's going to be some big event. And they want to know when. And then Jesus says, verse 8, Watch out, you're not deceived. It's a bit of a gear crunch, isn't it? They're asking, when's this going to happen? And Jesus just launches into something else. But what he's actually describing is an attitude. He will come on to the next bit in a bit. But but to begin with, actually, he describes an attitude, verses 8 to 19. He's describing an attitude that his followers, because he's speaking to his disciples, need to have. And it both applies to the next 40 years, because the temple is destroyed in about AD 70. And it applies... To each one of us today. Uh, and it's, he gives uh, four not statements, which we sort of do not say, and they're in two pairs. So verse 8, he says, do not be deceived and do not follow. And then verse 9, do not fear. And verse 14, do not worry. So he says, first of all, do not be deceived. Do not follow. Because he knows that actually that that people are going to come up. That people are going to rise up after he's ascended into heaven. And they're going to be one saying, look, I'm he. I'm God. I'm back again. And he's Jesus saying, don't be deceived. Just as an aside, actually, uh, that shows us that Jesus is telling his disciples that there will be a gap. That there will be some time between him... Uh, you know, dying, rising and ascending, and his return, at time enough for people to, to spring up. If there was no gap, then no one could come and say, I'm the Messiah. 
So that there is going to be a gap, Jesus sort of telling his disciples, be saying, don't be fooled. Uh, be on your guard. Don't be deceived. Uh, don't follow. If you try to, to listen to them, you're not going to find anything good. You're not going to find life. You've got to listen to me. You've got to trust me. So it's very practically, actually, for us. It, it does mean that, that any time we ever hear a date, any time anyone ever says, this is when the world's going to end, you just know they're wrong. Because it's only Jesus who we can listen to. Don't be deceived. Don't follow. Put your hope in Jesus. Don't think that the delay, that the, the gap between his ascending and his return means that he's not coming back. Don't think that your faith is a failure. Don't be deceived. Don't follow, Jesus says. Adopt that attitude. But then also, don't fear and don't worry. Verse 9. When you hear of wars and uprisings, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. Then he said, the nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines, pestilence and of various places and fearful events and great signs from heaven. Jesus is saying look, that the world will be out of kilter. It won't be as it ought to be. It will be out of sync with itself. These are, are not an index of things that must happen before Jesus' return. They're simply describing what life will be like. It's simply describing that, 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 that life will, will be like this. There will be wars. So, so when you hear of wars, however, that they're big wars or small wars, Jesus says, don't fear, because this is what's to expect. And likewise, he says, actually, persecution for the church is normal. Uh, somebody said, uh, persecution and suffering is the church's short-term diet. And this persecution may come from those who are those who, who know and love us. Did you see that? Verse 16, you'll be betrayed by parents, brothers, sisters, relatives and friends. Those who are uh, so intimately connected to us will be the ones who may betray us. But that's the life of the church. That's the normal life of the church. It's not necessarily normal for us here in Hove. And it hasn't been geographically or historically for us recently. Uh, but that is the normal life of the church. Uh, Open Doors, the charity that works as a persecuted church, uh, estimate that at this very moment there are 360 million Christians uh, living in areas of, of what they term high persecution. Uh, that is to say that there are threats to their, their well-being simply for being Christians, whether that be physically or, or through work or whatever it might be. Uh, they estimate that, that by the end of today, 13 Christians would have been killed simply for being Christians. Uh, 12 churches would have been attacked. Uh, 12 have been unjustly arrested. And 5 abducted. Uh, simply for being a Christian. 
uh, I have no idea how this person got the statistic, but there was an article in Christianity Today magazine in 2014 that estimated that uh, 70 million Christians had been killed for their faith since the time of Jesus. I have no idea how they got that figure. It, it could be a huge un- overestimation or a huge underestimation. And just chatting with Michael earlier, he was telling me about a country where they work with where uh, when somebody shows interest in the faith, uh, the Christian sort of leader will meet with that person for one year before telling them where the church meets. One year out of fear that that person is trying to infiltrate the church and destroy it. And even after that year, they still don't really know. Jesus says we are to expect it. And he also says, don't worry about what you're to say. He says, words be given you. And I guess when he says that, he's imagining that Christians are being hauled up before the kind of, you know, the authorities. And they're saying, oh, you're a Christian. Why are you a Christian? Uh, And at that moment, he's saying, don't worry. Jesus will help you. He'll help you to know what to say. Do not fear. Do not worry. Now I know it's easy for me to say that from up here. It's easy for me to say that partly because we live in hope. And actually, we, when we walk out this door, we, we don't have to worry uh, about sort of scattering and, and going out at different times so that we're not seen. Uh, we don't have to worry about people spying out why we're coming to this building. Uh, we don't have to worry about being abducted because we've been to the church. That's part of the reason it's easy for me to say it, but, but it's also easy to say it because I don't have to live into your shoes. I don't have to face the family you face or the work colleagues you face. And I know it can be easy for me to say it, but Jesus wants to tell us, don't fear. It's hard, I know. Don't fear. Don't worry. And the reason is, is because he's really saying... Don't be surprised, because that's the biggest thing. You, you might think that actually that, that suddenly you're getting a load of grief for being a Christian, and you think, that's it, I'm being a failure as a Christian, because I'm getting this grief. Would you say, no, it's almost the opposite. Don't be surprised. Your faith is not failing or weak. This is normal. And actually, he keeps going as if it's 18 and 19, He says, but not a hair on your head will perish. Stand firm and you will win life. I mean, what a promise that is. What a promise that is for those Christians in that country I was talking about. To know that even if they were arrested, even if they were killed, not a hair on their head can be hurt or perished. There's a greater prize of hope. So Jesus is saying, don't be deceived, don't follow, do not fear, do not worry. And then at last, he does turn uh, to kind of to Jerusalem. This is a, a, not a picture of what Jesus saw, this is a modern day picture. But he turns to Jerusalem, verses 20 to 24. And here he, he does turn to a specific event, a, a real historical occurrence 
And he says, look, when you see these things happening, when you see the armies surrounding the city, get out, flee. That's what he says. Verse 21, then let those in Judah flee to the mountains, let those in the city get out. Let those in the country not enter the city. He's saying, look, there's going to be a moment when armies come round. It's going to happen. It's going to be real. When you see that, go. And in fact, that's exactly what did happen. Christians did know of Jesus' warnings and they fled. And they were spared what was to come because what was to come was awful. Verse 22. How dreadful will it be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers? In other words, those who can't get out. That's what he's saying there. How dreadful will it be? Uh, But this is not some random act. Note again, do you see verse 22? For this is the time of punishment in fulfilment of all that has been written. These are all passages from the Old Testament, which all speak of, in some way or another, of what was to come. Uh, Speak of, uh, of if Israel was to act in this way, this will happen. And time and time again, God's people, God's prophets calling them back. And time and time again, they're not doing that. And so now, God's punishment comes and the city was sacked it was a dreadful dreadful time but Jesus then moves just seamlessly from the 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 real historical event to the future event of his return Verses 25 to 28. And, and here, this is, this is not a, a, a literal account like Jerusalem of what will happen. Uh, this is rather a description of what life will be like. And again, when you read it, it sounds very much like Genesis, doesn't it? The sun, the stars, the moon. But of course, in Genesis 1, you, you've got a place of, of chaos which is brought to order. Whereas here, it's an order brought to chaos. This is a a, a dreadful day. Well, a dreadful day for those who aren't Jesus's. It's a dreadful day for those who are are on the wrong end of that punishment. And we need to know that. That We need to to feel that, to feel that actually that there is a a right and just punishment. That that, that we've had warnings and warnings, but there will be a day. And we need to know that. But actually here in this passage, uh, Jesus really is, is wanting to give us hope. Because for the Christian, that is a wonderful day. It is a wonderful day. It's a day when, when all the suffering... All the the betrayals, all of the hardship will be gone. Uh, James Edwards has said, um, 
the grand finale of the gospel preached by Jesus is that there is a sure hope for the future. It is grounded not in history or logic or intuition, but in the words of Jesus. Uh, In the, the strong declaration that in those days, humanity will no longer usurp history, but give it up to its Lord and Maker who will return in glory and justice to condemn evil, end suffering, and gather his own to himself. That's the God we have. That's why this passage is full of hope. Because it's saying, look, whatever we're going through now is not the end. Rather, Jesus is saying, we need to live in light of that day. And just to help them, he gives the example of the fig tree. He says, look, when you see a fig tree, sometimes it has no leaves. You might think it's dead and dying, but actually when you see the leaves, you know what's coming. You know what's coming. So, how should we live? And that's where Jesus gets to, verses 34 to 36. How should we live? Well, I think it's not being tied to this world. At the beginning, we we talked about all the things that that might sort of hold us and hold our attention. Now, don't get me wrong, actually, these can be really good things. We heard before in the seminar about being shrewd with the resources we've been given. Actually, the, the Lord's provision for you in your future might be your salary today. So you might be be wise by the way that you do that and use that and prepare for that. But if that's all our hope and trust, if that's entirely where we put our life, then we're doomed to failure. In effect, we're actually really no different to the person over here. Uh, We're just getting our head down and just looking at the stuff that we have, saying, well, well, how can I sort of carve this so that it will keep me and hold me? How can I keep this so that it will keep me for the next 40, 50, 60 years? But we need to lift up our head. We need to, 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 to lift up our eyes, to look around at the, the real and true reality. Uh, yes, it's important, and it might be important to, to look up, to have provisions for the next 30, 40 years, but what about eternity? How, how are you going to work for that? So how can we lift up our heads? Well, one really, really helpful way, simple way, is just to, to read our Bible. Uh, we don't read the Bible for God's benefit. We don't read the Bible so that God gives us brownie points. We read the Bible because it helps us to lift up our head and see the world as it really is, to to put on our our gospel glasses, to to see the the real shape of the way that the world works, uh, to see uh, what lies ahead, to, to see our destination, and so we can live accordingly and hear God's good word into it. So we can get our our heads away from our our kind of here and now and lift them up. That's why we pray. 
pray recognizing that we need the Lord's help. That we need the Lord's help because today could be really tough and we need his help. It's why we gather together. But we thank God that actually we don't want to take for granted that we don't have to have a secret knock on the door. That we can come, we can meet on a Sunday. Uh, the main way, the main course of being fed and kept. The old famous illustration John Stott gave of, the, of taking a coal out of the coal fire and putting it on its own. Uh, when you take the coal out of the coal fire and put it on the hearth, it goes cold very quickly. But keeping it in the fire, it not only receives warmth, it gives warmth as well. We need to meet together. But also, um, we need to make decisions with that future in view. If you want to be uh, a doctor, um, then you don't choose PEA level. That's a good A level to choose, by the way, but that's another subject. Um, But you make decisions, don't you? Based on what you want to do, you you decide today, based on your future, you make decisions today based upon that. Or again, as I said, if you do want to to look after your your pension pot, then you you make decisions today on base of that, in the light of that. But actually, we need to make decisions not simply based upon the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years. But we have to make decisions based on eternity. So go and make decisions with that future in view. What will it mean to use your time, your resources, with that in mind? Jesus is saying here, he's saying, lift up your heads. Expect these things to happen. Expect the world to be out of kilter. Expect there to be hardship and difficulty in the world and amongst God's people. But have hope, because I am coming And when I come, I will make all things new. And we read this, and we know that in a few weeks' time, when we go through Luke's Gospel, we'll be getting to that moment when he says, upon the cross, it is finished. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your good words. We thank you that we can trust that, that history is in your hands, today is in your hands. Help us to lift up our heads and to live aright, to have hope in times of challenge, to have comfort in times of despair, because you are our God who will make all things new. In Jesus' name, amen.